All right, good morning, guys. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and take it out and open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, that's going to be our sermon text for today. And as always, every Sunday, uh, just grateful to worship the Lord with you guys this morning. Uh, awesome to hear your voices raised and singing about our living hope. Um, while you're turning to First Thessalonians, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter three, um, that's where we need to be. Um, I just want to reiterate as you're turning there, just you know, the blessing it is to have everybody here with us today. As we were kind of standing out in the hallway before the service started, I even saw some new faces that I haven't seen before, and so uh, always a blessing to have people with us who here for the first time. So thank you for joining us today. Um, I hope that you feel at home at UBC. I hope this is a church where you feel like this is home. We want to be a church where we truly glorify God by making wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. And um, if you're about that, then we're with you and we want to be on mission with you. And if you're not quite there where you want to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, I hope you get there soon. And uh, we pray that God would touch your heart today as we open his word together. Um, When I was a kid, my mima had a bookshelf full of these little uh, red leather-bound books called Aesop's Fables. And uh, in Aesop's Fables, you know, all these little stories with morality lessons for kids. One of them was called The Ant and the Grasshopper. And uh, I just want to read this to you as an introduction to today's message. It says this, On a field one summer's day, a grasshopper was hopping about, chirping and singing to its heart's content. An ant passed by, bearing along with a great toil a kernel of corn that he was taking to the nest. Why not come and chat with me, said the grasshopper, instead of toiling and moiling in that way. I am helping lay up food for the winter, said the ant, and I recommend you do the same. Why bother about winter, said the grasshopper? We've got plenty of food at the present. But the ant went on his way and continued its toil. When the winter came, the grasshopper had no food and found itself dying of hunger. But every day, it saw the ants distributing corn and grain from the stores they had collected in the summer. Then the grasshopper knew, to work today is to eat tomorrow. Or, as the Bible says it in 2 Thessalonians, he who does not work shall not eat, right? That's what we're going to get into today, into our sermon text. He who doesn't work will not eat. Um, this is week six, the final week in our study through the book of Second Thessalonians. Um, it's been this has been kind of a, a long study from between first, second, uh, first and Second Thessalonians. We started First Thessalonians all the way back in January. We spent like thirteen weeks going through that study. Here we are going through Second Thessalonians, and this is week six for us here. First um, Thessalonians, if you remember, called us to actually live like Jesus is going to come again, and then Second Thessalonians has called us to stand like unshaken until he comes. And as we've gone through Second Thessalonians, we've seen that the believers in Thessalonica they had some challenges their way. In chapter 1, Paul addresses the challenge of persecution that had come against them and maybe how persecution was affecting them to maybe uh, get a little shaky in their faith. And then in chapter 2, the apostle Paul addressed the issue of fear and how some of them in the church were afraid that they had missed the rapture and the return of Christ. Maybe they were left behind. And that's kind of a quick summary of chapter 1 and 2. But last week, we went into chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians 
And chapter three, we said, kind of changed tones a little bit. The focus shifted. Um, Rather than kind of being these words of encouragement, now Paul is actually shifting to some words of correction and rebuke, actually. Um, the, The specific challenge he was giving them in chapter three is to be an active church, an active church. And he specifically, last week, we said he called them to be active in, um, you know, the, the practice of prayer, especially if they were going to be focused on missions and supporting missionaries. And so what did we say last week for us? If we want to be a mission-minded church, then we need to be a prayer-practicing church. And so appreciate Nick leading us this morning to pray over the nations, to pray for what God's doing in our city through other churches. We want to be a mission-minded, prayer-practicing church. Why do we do that? Because like we talked about last week in in verse uh, one or two of our text, that Paul wanted to see the gospel speed ahead. He wanted to move quickly. He wanted more people to be reached. But today's text is, um, I think the Apostle Paul is doing a little bit of a play on words, where last week he was talking about the gospel speeding ahead. Today we're going to talk about the opposite of speeding ahead. We're going to talk about idling, people who are idle and slowed down, almost doing nothing, right? So the simple but direct big idea from our, our passage today is this. Beware of becoming idle. Pretty simple. Beware of becoming idle. That's the main point that Paul is taking, is making in our text today. So here's how we're going to work through it. Today we're going to work through verses 6 through 15 of chapter 3 in 2 Thessalonians. I want to share with you today about the definition of idleness. Then I want to talk about the problems of idleness. And then third, our response to idleness. And my prayer is that if there's anybody in our congregation who is living in idleness in your life, my prayer is that you will feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and that you'll be challenged to repent and start to live in alignment with God's design for your life. Um, Because I think we all agree with this, like none of us want to waste our life. None of us want to die and have lived for, for, for nothing. We want to use every day that God has given us so that when we come to the end of our days, we have lived our lives for something that matters, for the glory of God, for the good of uh, all people. And so that being said, let's talk about it today. We don't want to be idle, but let's first understand what, what do we mean by idleness. Let's talk about the definition of idleness. Paul says in verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you've received from us. So right away, we see that the Apostle Paul is writing to brothers. He's writing to fellow believers. Um, and he's, he's calling them um, to, to kind of stay away from, from other brothers who are walking in idleness. Paul talks about idleness several times throughout our passage. In verse 7, he says, uh, you know, we were not idle when we were with you. In verse 11, he says that, you know, some are walking in idleness. Um, and Paul, so this is the big focus. Paul is saying we got to correct this problem. This is an issue. But what is he talking about exactly? I want to bring clarity to idleness. I want to make sure we understand what idleness is, and then that will allow us to see what idleness is not. All right, so we're going to look at it that way. What idleness is, let's talk about that first. In the original Greek language of the New Testament, the word idle um, is the word, or idleness is the word autoctos, and um, autoctos means undisciplined or irresponsible. It has to do with being disorderly and things kind of doing, being out of line with what is proper. And so it was a military term. If you can imagine a row of guys, you know, marching in a military line and somebody kind of falls out of line or somebody abandoning their post, right? They were living autoctos. 
So idleness, here's the, the simple definition, is laziness and irresponsibility that is out of line with God's design. Right? So laziness and irresponsibility that is out of line with God's design. I say out of line with God's design because we need to kind of back up all the way to the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we need to understand that God made mankind to be workers. It's part of what he designed us to do. Let's just read Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. It'll be on the screen behind us here. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Here's, this, this is part of the creation story, God making the world. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth, right? So this is, this is God's creation mandate. He tells mankind that he created in his image. We want you to be fruitful. We want you to, to be multiply. We want you to fill the earth with these other little image bearers all around the world. And what do we want you to do? We want you to subdue and we want you to uh, take care, to, to have dominion over the earth that God has made. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because God made mankind to be workers. This is very, this, we have to understand this because I think um, one of the problems that I, at least I picked up on a little bit in my years in ministry is that I think sometimes people think that work is actually something that is a result of the fall. All right, like man, as if mankind didn't have anything to do work-wise until after sin came into the world. And here's what I want to say. The difficulty of work um, definitely, uh, you know, became a thing after the fall. But the reality of work and responsibility and uh, us as image bearers caring for uh, the earth that God has made, that's all stuff that was given to mankind pre-sin. This is part of God's good created order that we are workers and it's part of bearing his image in the world. Now, why do I say it's part of bearing his image? Because what do we see in Genesis? That God created man in his image to do these things. Have dominion, take care, cultivate, right? This is part of bearing his image in the world. Well, what does that mean? That means that God is a worker, right? What do we see about God? That God we see that God is a worker. He worked, he created the world. He, he, he works and he sustains the world. God works all things throughout history according to the purposes of his will. God is a worker. It's not hard for him. He doesn't have to, you know, break a sweat. You know, it's not like uh, there's toil for him. Like this, there's, there's nothing that's, that's difficult for the Lord. But we do see that part of what God does is that he works. Jesus also was a worker. Jesus came on the earth and was the son of a carpenter and swung a hammer, right? Jesus came on the earth. More importantly, what did he say? Even now my father is working and I do the works my father tells me to do. Jesus, in Hebrews, it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus is a worker. All things are made by him and for him and through him. So the Lord is a worker. So here's the thing. When we decide to be non-workers, when we decide to be irresponsible, lazy, what are we doing? We are poorly bearing his image to the world. We are not bearing his image correctly to the world. Idleness and laziness is irresponsibility that is out of line with God's design, all right? Now, that's what idleness 
is. Let's talk about what idleness is not because there's some important nuance here that I want to mention. The first thing I think it's important just to reiterate is that idleness, first of all, it's not, um, it's not living with disabilities, okay? So here's what I mean by that. There are some people due to true, sincere disabilities, they, they really, they just cannot work. Um, and we all need to be sympathetic and understanding of that. It would be wrong for us to look at people who have disabilities who cannot work and, and just think of them as being idle or something. If somebody claims to have disabilities but they don't, like, yeah, sure, they're idle, plus they have deeper problems that they need to deal with. But like, you know, I, my wife and I, we have an uncle who has serious disabilities, and um, yet for him, you know, this, just uh, this past month, he completed 37 years of working as an employee at McDonald's, and he retired, you know? So like, you know, I also don't want us to assume that just because somebody has disabilities that they can't do any work, right? Like, yeah, I think we just need to be careful and understanding when it comes to um, people with disabilities, we must be gracious and understanding and not paint with too broad of a brush. But idleness is not, um, you know, living with disabilities. It, it's also this, um, idleness is not choosing to be a homemaker, <laughs> All right, like the reason why I say that is because I think sometimes uh, in our culture, if a uh, husband or wife or, or a man or woman chooses to stay home and, and manage their home, um, sometimes they're looked down on as somebody who's lazy or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> having my wife having uh, been a homemaker for many years now, um, she works like crazy. You know, I, I think of all the hats that she wears. You know, she's like a cook and. Uh, uh, a gardener and uh, a decorator and a nurse and a teacher and a counselor for her dramatic husband, all kind of, you know, wrapped up into one, like all one personality. This is amazing. She works like crazy. But I was thinking about this a little bit because of the pandemic and the way that COVID-19 caused us all to kind of slow down and push pause in our lives. And there were many people um, in our culture who have decided to do what? They're going to stay home, right? They were forced to stay home earlier. Now, Having done that, they've made adjustments in their lives because for them, that had, that made sense to do. Where they used to pay money, loads of money, um, for childcare, and therefore had to have a two-income home, maybe they've said, "No, we'll just keep our kids at home, and, and we don't have to pay for childcare." Or maybe uh, they've taken in their elderly and aging parents or grandparents, and so instead of working outside the home, now they're caregivers for their parents or their grandparents. You know, they're, the people are, are staying home. They're learning new skills. They're learning how to start their own businesses from home. And, and I just think it's a little bit of a culture shift for us so that when we, you know, when we kind of see that, um, you know, in our culture, I think there's just this bomb that we throw that if somebody's not working outside the home, uh, that they're, they're lazy and idle. And I think we need to be careful about that. That's not always the case. The third thing is this, uh, Idleness is not practicing rest and recreation, okay? If you practice rest and recreation, that doesn't mean that you're automatically idle. Um, you, know, uh, you know, sometimes you hear these stories about guys who will come and, you know, they'll be all proud of themselves. You know, I work seven days a week, and uh, the devil doesn't take a day off, so I'm not going to take a day off, you know? <laughs> well, you know, as far as I know, God took the seventh day off, so I'd rather line up with the Lord than the devil, but the... Uh, but I think it's important for us to know that, like, um, you know, God, really, God rested on the seventh day. Right? 
J- Jesus took naps, right? Like, he took naps. Like, that, there's nothing ungodly about resting and, and, and taking naps, you know, things like that. This is part of the way God designed the world. What did he tell the people of Israel? You know, remember the Sabbath day. Set it apart for me. Keep it, keep it holy. So, uh, the reason why I'm mentioning that is because I, I don't want us to feel like we're idle if we go to our boss and say, you know, I'm not going to work seven days a week. Um, you don't need to feel guilty when you intentionally schedule taking your, your PTO and your vacation days, you know, things like that, that I feel like sometimes we can struggle with in our culture. Idleness is none of those things. Idleness is irresponsibility and intentional laziness that is out of line with God's design. That's the definition of idleness. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the practical outflows of this in a minute, but I also want us to see in our text that idleness brings with it problems. Let's talk about the problems of idleness. Uh, As we look in our text, I just kind of categorized these uh, three problems that Paul points out. I call them the three M's, the three problems of idleness. Here they are, mooching, meddling, and misbehaving, all right? Mooching, meddling, and misbehaving. So Paul says that, that idleness can lead to mooching. Look at verse seven and eight. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, right? You ever had that person that was like in your lunchroom when you were growing up? Like they didn't, they didn't want to use their own money to pay for lunch, so they just kind of took a cookie and a sandwich and a thing off other people's plates. I had those kids all through my school. Mooches, all right. So Paul didn't do that, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So apparently there were people in the Thessalonican church that were trying to eat food without paying for it. They wanted to, you know, get bread without having to work. And so Paul says, no, no, we did the opposite. Remember our example. We did the opposite when we were with you. And if you think all the way back to January in our studies on First Thessalonians, Thessalonians, we said that you can read about the history of Paul's ministry with the Thessalonian church. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17 and you can about how he carried himself there. Well, in the very next chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 18, if you read there, you actually see that the Apostle Paul had a skills trade. He actually had a job that he did, and with these, this couple named Aquila and Priscilla, he actually made money by you know, making tents and selling tents to people. So Paul was a tent maker. Therefore, when he talks about how he labored night and day when he was with the Thessalonians, what he likely means is that he worked really hard. He did ministry and made his own living very likely through the, uh, the means of, of selling tents, making and selling tents. And he says here he did that because he didn't want to be a burden on these new believers in Thessalonica. You've got to remember, these believers he was with in Thessalonica, they were brand new Christians, right? Three-week-old Christians. The Apostle Paul was teaching them and showing them um, you know, they were baby Christians. They may not right away have understood how um, Paul would later teach about how those who um, are, are, you know, preaching the gospel, that they have a, a right to make money and to make their living from the gospel. They may not have understood that immediately in their faith. And so Paul didn't want to create a stumbling block to them. So what did he do? He said, as an example to you, we worked night and day. Um, Look what he says in verse nine. He says in verse nine, it was not because we do not have that right. Well, what right is he talking about? He's talking about the right to be paid for doing ministry. He says, it's not, it's not because we don't have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. 
So Paul says, yeah, you know, we had that right to be paid for the ministry we were doing. Um, Jesus very clearly told his disciples, those who preach the gospel will make their living from the gospel. Um, the apostle Paul would later teach in 2 Corinthians 9 and 1 Timothy 5 that, you know, don't, uh, don't, what is this, don't uh, muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain, right? So you just, just like you feed your ox when it does work, like feed, you know, make sure your pastor can have food, you know, like that's what Paul is saying. There's nothing wrong with that. But rather than make use of his right to his provisions, he let that go and he worked a job like everybody else. Why did he do that? Because he knew it was important for him to set that example to those new believers in Thessalonica. Look what he says in the very next verse. For even, verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So here we are back to the principle of the ant and the grasshopper, right? If you won't work, you won't eat. Uh, and I think it's important to note that Paul says if anyone is not willing to work, that's an important word. He's not willing to work because Paul's not talking about those who can't work. He's talking about those who won't work. And what do you call somebody who won't work but wants to eat? You call them a mooch, right? They're the mooching, idlers have mooching problems. And so Paul says, don't let these people mooch off the church even though their idleness was leading them to do that. That was the first problem of idleness, it was mooching. There's also the problem of meddling. Paul says this in verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Busy bodies. Now, what's a busy body? What's a busy, well, that's a tongue twister. What's a busy body? Uh, a busy body is different than what we normally think. Like, I think sometimes in our culture, we use the word busy body, and we, what we mean when we say it is people who are, like, busy with their body all the time. They're just going, going, doing, doing. That's not a busy body. A busy body is someone who neglects their own business in order to mind everybody else's business. Busybodies apparently have so much uh, boredom in their own life that they just want to uh, create and feed off the drama of everybody else's life. That's what busybodies are. They're people who say they want to help, but really what they want to do is just know and talk, right? That's what a busybody is. And so we talked about this a little bit back in our study through 1 Thessalonians. But let me just remind you, when it comes to getting into other people's business, here's the basic rule of thumb. If you're not part of the problem, or part of the solution, then you don't need to be involved in any way, right? When it comes to other dramatic situations in people's lives, if you're not part of the problem, you're not part of the solution, you don't need to be involved in any way. Because the truth is, guys, don't we all just, have, don't we have enough problems of our own to deal with? Like, we have our own issues to handle in our own lives. Why do we try to meddle with everybody else's business? Honestly, it's usually because we're not keeping busy with our own affairs, we're, busy, we're, we're meddling because we're not handling, working hard, taking care of our own issues. One of the problems with idleness is that it leads to meddling. So there's mooching and meddling. And then here's the third one. It's the problem of misbehaving. And that admittedly is not the best word to use, but it was an M and I needed a third M to go along with the outline. So I chose it. But verse 12, Paul says this. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now, Paul says we command and encourage them in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the fact that there's an encouragement and a command here means that Paul is adding some additional emphasis. And then the fact that he says in the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, that's even a bigger emphasis because he's saying, I'm sharing this with you under the authority of the Lord Jesus. So 
If the command to not be idle is given to us under the authority of the Lord Jesus, then when we willingly live in idleness, then who are we really disobeying? We're actually disobeying Christ. And that's a big problem. You know, if you listen to this sermon today and you leave here and you're like, whatever, I'm just going to be idle, I'm intentionally lazy, who cares what Jason says? You're not just disregarding a sermon from me. You know, you're not just being a, a, a bad citizen and a poor neighbor and a, a, you know, a, a not so good American. Like, there's a deeper issue than that. You're not just a, a burden. You know, people who are idle aren't just a burden on the church using the resources or, or a burden on taxpayers. You know, it's not just that. It's, it's actually that we are disobeying the commands of the Lord Jesus. And that's a problem. That's sin. So when we live in idleness, it creates problems. The problems of mooching off the church, meddling in the affairs of others, and misbehaving against the commands of Christ. Those are the problems. Now, the last thing I want us to see in our text today is not just the definition of idleness, not just the problems, but the response. The response to idleness. How are we to respond as believers following the Lord in the church whenever idleness happens in the church? We're going to see that Paul tells the church two things. He tells them to keep working and give warnings. Keep working and give warnings. So he tells them to keep working. Look at verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. Paul, you know, this passage falls, you know, at the end of many other passages. And what have we seen all through our study of First and Second Thessalonians? This was a good church. They were commendable in many ways. They were exemplary, and uh, in many ways, they were doing well. And so Paul says, for you brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. You've been persevering, press on, continue. The challenge is that that's just, it's hard, right? It's difficult. And the reason why it's difficult is because it's usually harder to do the right thing than it is to do the wrong thing. We, we all come to points in our lives where we have to make decisions, Option A and option B. Option A, easier. Option B, harder. Option A, little compromise. Option B, integrity. Option A, you know, it's going to be uh, pretty easy and convenient. Option B, it's going to be difficult. In those moments, as believers, we need to choose to do the good thing. Even if it's the hard thing, we choose the good thing. So how does this apply to idleness? It's, it's very simple. Idleness and irresponsibility and laziness is the easy way. It, it, you, don't, you don't really grow weary doing that, so to speak. Diligence, faithfulness, discipline, continuing in hard work and faithfulness, that's the hard road. And you can grow weary doing that. But do the good thing. Avoid the path of idleness. Obviously, not everybody chooses this. This is a problem in the Thessalonian culture. It's a problem in our American culture today. Some people just flat out choose idleness, and that's why Paul says what he says next. Look what he says in verse 14 and 15. He tells them, hey, give warnings to people who are living in idleness. Look at verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So Paul is saying, if you've got a brother in the church, a fellow believer, and they're living in idleness and this intentional irresponsibility out of line with God's design. You need to notice that person. You, you should even 
Go and you don't treat them like an enemy who you hate, but you treat them like a brother who you love, and you go and you give them a warning. And the warning here is a warning that, you know what, you're not just being lazy. You're not just being a burden to the church. You're not just being a burden to the taxpayer. You know, you know it's that type of thing. It's the warning is, you know, you're, you're actually living in disobedience to Jesus. And if you're a true Christian, why would you want to continue living in the sin that Jesus died for on the cross? A Christian won't want that. So this is hard because it's, it's uncomfortable, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know if any of us can imagine going to a brother or sister in Christ and say, hey, can we talk because I've got a concern. Uh, I, see, I see laziness in your life. I see idleness. Like me probably just bringing that up as an idea probably makes some of you immediately get sweaty. Like, I don't know if I could do that. I hope nobody does that to me. Um, but what, you know, Paul talks even further. He actually says, you know, have nothing to do with that brother that he may be ashamed. So what that means is there may come times where people who persist in this idleness and meddling and mooching lifestyle where you actually have to come and you have to take church discipline on those people. And you say, we've confronted you, we've warned you, but now you're continuing to persist in this lifestyle. Now we have to put you under church discipline and, and treat you like an unbeliever because that's the way you're living. Guys, the truth is that unrepentant sin of any kind, whether it's idleness or any other kind, unrepentant sin always causes separation. It causes separation between God and man. It causes separation between brothers and sisters in Christ. When people repent, there's a great reconciliation. That's what we want. That's what we long for. Anytime a warning has to be given or a correction is given, we want reconciliation. We want repentance and restoration. But I can say this. It is not loving to your brother and sister in Christ for you to see sin in their life and then just act like it's no big deal. There's nothing loving about that. If it was no big deal, God wouldn't call it sin and he wouldn't have sent Jesus to die for it. So this is kind of hard for us, especially if you're in a spot where you've been unemployed or you're looking for work and it's, you know, how, how do you balance this nuance of like trying to work and, and yet, you know, maybe feeling like, oh, you know, uh, I want, Th- these are the things that we have to take into consideration Um, Very carefully, we need to have nuance in our life, but we don't need to be afraid to affirm what the scripture affirms. When the scripture says if somebody intentionally lives in the sin of idleness, then we take action. I just wanna, this isn't the only place the scripture talks about this. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, the apostle Paul says, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. 1 Corinthians 5.11, do not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or reviler or drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Right, so there's some pretty straightforward teaching about how when people claim to be brothers in Christ but they per- perpetually go on and living in sin, we may have to have times where we break fellowship with them, especially if the effects of that, mooching, meddling, idleness, especially if they're bringing uh, detrimental effects on the church. So I wanna make it clear, we are not talking about somebody who has a moment 
of idleness in their life. We're not talking about somebody who overslept or somebody who took a nap. You know, we're not talking about uh, even somebody who may go through a season of unemployment or anything like that. We're talking about a bro- somebody who claims to be a brother who walks in idleness, verse 6 says. If they are walking in idleness, persisting in it over and over again, people like that need a warning. Now, what are some practical takeaways for us. So I'm going to wrap up my time here just by some practical takeaways. Number one, church family, let's work hard for the glory of God and for the witness of the church. Let's work hard for the glory of God and for the witness of the church. Um, Let's do our work. When we leave here today, maybe you go to work tonight or tomorrow, whatever it is, you know, let's do our work as unto the Lord, not unto men. In our workplaces, let's try to be the best workers that we can be. Not necessarily to earn favor from man, but because we're doing what God has designed us to do. Uh, let's, let's do it for, so that we win an audience with our unbelieving uh, supervisors and, and coworkers so that they see, you know, there's not a barrier of laziness that could get in the way when we may have an opportunity to talk to them about the gospel. We don't want our irresponsibility to uh, create a barrier for them to listen to our witness about Christ. So how are you known in the workplace? Are you pursuing, maybe you're unemployed right now. Are you pursuing work? Are you going for it? Are you working hard in your home? Uh, is that what's going on? But if you are working, how are you known in the workplace? You're coming in late, going home early, doing as little as possible, complaining, you know, grumbling about people. We need to let all that go and do our work as unto the Lord. And I just want to say this pastorally to our church for a minute. I just want to say I praise the Lord for our church because we almost never have to deal with issues pertaining to idleness in our church. People work hard and they want to use their days for God's glory and it's a blessing to me as a pastor to see this in our church. But we're kidding ourselves if we think it can never be a problem for us. If it can never be a problem for us, the Lord wouldn't put it in the Bible, right? So here we're dealing with it. And I also know this, if anything, I think we have a propensity in our church probably to be prone to the opposite side of this, to swing the pendulum the other way, where we are prone to not be idle, I-D-L-E, but to make an idol, I-D-O-L, out of our careers. I think that that's more of our thing, that we can get so caught up to being overworked, workaholics, definitely a propensity in my own life, maybe for some of you, and, uh, you know, many of us are now oftentimes in a, in a season of life where we feel like we're overworked and we are weary. I mean, think about everything that's gone on with COVID and all the work changes and all the adjustments that's gone on and now that things are ramping back up and all the demands that are on people, like in some ways we're probably tempted to just throw in the towel and quit and, you know, we're getting weary. So it would be easier just to quit working, quit serving, quit loving, bail on our ministries, bail on our families, just relax and take it easy. And this is probably why the Apostle Paul said earlier, if you remember yesterday or last week's sermon, this is probably why he said in verse chapter 3, verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the steadfastness of Christ. Because for us, we are all going to have times when we want to throw in the towel, we want to quit, we, we are weary and well-doing. And in those moments, what do we need to do? We need to remember the good that Jesus never quit doing for us. He went to the cross. He finished the task. He completed the work that God gave him to do. He lives now to ever make intercession for us. He's advocating on our behalf before the Father right now. When we remember that the Lord Jesus never quits working for us, it helps us to be moved in our hearts to continue 
to work and to love and to serve others. Number two, big takeaway for us, we don't just need to work hard for the glory of God and for the witness of the church, but you know, you need to consider that we, you know, we need community both for our weariness and our warnings. We need community for our weariness and our warnings. Guys, brother, God gave us the church to help us. In our seasons of weariness, we need brothers and sisters in Christ to come and help bear our burdens. Remember the Old Testament story of of Israel being in battle and when Moses raised his hands, Israel would win the battle, but his arms got tired and he got weary. What did he need? He needed Aaron and Hur on, his, on each side of him, holding up his arms in the battle so that as his arms were raised, you know, the war could be won. And for us, that's what we need. We need Aaron and Hur in our life. We need community, brothers and sisters in Christ at our side who are helping us live out this call to not grow weary in well-doing. Do you have com- Christian community in your life or are you just kind of rolling solo in your Christian life? Are you in community? This is part of why we have growth groups in our church and other types of discipleship groups because we want people to be in community with each other. So we help each other in the weary moments, but we also have community in our life for the, the moments when we need warnings. You know, do you have anybody in your life who's close enough to even notice if you gr- are getting idle? Do you have any brothers or sisters in, in Christ who you love and trust enough to where if they approached you and said, you know what, I'm seeing this in you, that you could receive it from them because you know they love you and they care about you? We need community in our life, both for our weariness and for our warnings. And then the last takeaway for us is I just want to share this with you guys. This passage will be one of many passages that shapes how we process benevolence requests in our church. So I want you to know this. We want to be a church that does good, especially to the household of faith. When we see brothers and sisters in Christ in our church, members of our church who are hurting, we want to be right on the spot to care for them, provide for their needs. We have people in our church right now who are going through seasons of unemployment and difficulty. They're trying hard to find work, but it's not coming quickly. You know what we want to do? We want to care for them. We want to share our resources and bless them. When they're faithful, responsible, hardworking, loving, committed members of this church, then we will absolutely help when the time comes. But you also need to know this. If people are not really committed and they're flaky and they only kind of show up in the lives of other Christians when they need a handout, and when you ask them questions about their situation but they give you half-hearted answers and you know, they, they're incomplete, I, I want you to know something. We're not going to be so concerned about giving them a handout as we are about giving them a warning. That this is us trying to actually love people if they're showing a pattern and a consistency of trying to mooch and meddle in the church. Then we will give them loving warnings, not just immediate handouts. So church family, what's the summary of all this? The call from this text. We need to keep working or expect to catch a warning. If we fall into the problems of mooching and meddling and misbehaving, then we have become idle, we have become lazy and irresponsible, and we are living outside of the design that God has for mankind. And we need to remember Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He completed the work that God called him to do all the way until he could hang on the cross and say, it is finished. So we look to Jesus, we remember the work that he completed on our behalf, and it compels us to complete the work that God has designed us to do. So church family, let's beware 
of becoming idle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving kindness to us displayed in Christ. And Lord, we admit that we are prone to swing the pendulum too far one way or the other. We can be lazy um, or we can be totally uh, workaholics. Um, Lord, we can, we can want to just retreat in negligence or we can uh, have a propensity to, to overdo it and, um, and not practice the Sabbath that you have called us to practice. So Lord, would you help us to find uh, the appropriate pace at which to run this race of life? I pray, Father, that um, the way in which we do our work whether at home or in a workplace, I pray that it would be pleasing to you. I especially want to pray for people this morning who are in our church, who uh, are in this moment recognizing a pattern of irresponsibility and laziness, Lord. I pray that you would convict them through the power of your Holy Spirit, but let them quickly run to the cross, repent, and find grace um, and power and strength in Christ to change and to be different. I pray, Lord, for those in our church who are hurting in the sense of um, this conversation is hard for them because they're unemployed. They're looking for work. It's difficult. It's challenging. And Lord, they're waiting for what your next assignment is going to be for them. Lord, I pray for people who are in that waiting period. Lord, do not let them get wrapped up in an unnecessary cloak of shame. Uh, Lord, I pray that they would trust you and that they would look forward to seeing you uh, answer their prayer. I pray, Father, also for us as we want to be a church that is gracious to those who are in need. Lord, give us the discernment to, do, to um, choose wisely the people that we want to help with the resources that you've blessed us. And Lord, make us a church that is ready and glad to help people uh, in their difficult times, but also a church that is loving enough to give warnings when those are necessary. We need your wisdom and help to do this in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord. So we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen.